In recent weeks, I've had a series of circumstances occur that have caused me to ask myself this question, and I'm going to ask it of you today as well. And that is, am I devoted to Christ only to a point? And if so, what is that point? In other words, is my devotion to Christ unconditional? Or is there a point where self-interest will conflict with that devotion, and I am likely to pursue, preserve, or protect that self-interest? That's a very uncomfortable question, is it not? I asked this of my wife the other evening, and she told me, this, well, that's very uncomfortable. <laughs> and it is. Because the simple answer is, is that most Christians have a point where their devotion to Christ comes into conflict with some aspect of self-interest, and they will likely choose the self-interest. Um, this is not new. I, I have discovered this for the last 30 years in pastoral ministry to be the case. It was disheartening. It was shocking. It left me with bewildered and dismayed to discover how many believers, at least professed believers, uh, had an open profession, open confession of love for Christ only to a point and were issues of perhaps romance or finance, of personal fulfillment, personal goals, conflicted with that devotion to Christ, invariably a person would pursue their personal interests over their devotion to Christ. Now, it's more insidious than that. It's, it's always more insidious than that, meaning that it is possible that our devotion to Christ being subject to some point of self-interest where we take the road of self-interest, we'll, we, can, we can flower that up by suggesting that it's God's will that we do that and we pursue and protect and preserve that self-interest. Now, that's possible. It is possible that that could be the case, too. It, it is possible that something that is of your own self-interest will also be the will of God for you. And at that point, it's not an issue. It's not a conflict, is it? I'm speaking of those times when it is a conflict. When there is something that comes up, some issue, some relational issue, some financial issue, some ethical issue, something that moral, some moral temptation, where that interest becomes more overpowering to you than your devotion to Christ. So, the question isn't, do you have that? The question isn't, do you have unconditional devotion to Christ? The chances are very high that you do not. Now, some of you may be offended in me even suggesting that. But I'm saying to you today that I do not, and I'm ashamed of that. My heart is broken because of that. And it's only in recent weeks, again, that I've had to come to grips with that if I look over the history of my Christian profession, that time and again, when it came time for 
personal interests, uh, which personal interests conflicted with my devotion to Christ, that I must admit that more t- more often than not, I pursued the personal interest. Now, before you go into some kind of neurosis or some kind of self-condemnation around this, just understand that this is something that has to be pruned off of us. It is something that is very common for believers, and it is something for which we have to admit in order to be free of. Uh, In John chapter 15, we have this very famous section of the Upper Room Discourse, in which Jesus is uh, now speaking to them about him being the true vine. And my father is the vine grower, he says. In verse 2 of chapter 15 of John, he says this, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he cleans it so that it may bear more fruit. So, I would suggest to you today that we all have this beginning point where our devotion to Christ and our hearts of consecration to Christ is yet to be fully developed. And so it isn't important that we stop and beat ourselves up for having some kind of conditional devotion to Christ, but that we recognize it, that we acknowledge it, we confess it, and we seek to have that removed. We seek to uh, be free of that kind of conditional devotion to Christ. We must be clear about what that point of self-interest is. It can be inter- interests of uh, romance or finance or personal career advancement or some other um, either legitimate or even immoral uh, interest. And we have to be clear about that if we're going to be free of it. Let me give you a couple of examples here. The book of Philippians is a great um, tool, a great word that would help us be free of this conditional devotion to Christ and find a greater consecration of our will and mind to him. Uh, What I want to encourage you about today as well is that it's already been my experience that as I pursue being free of this conditional devotion and being free of this personal interest, whatever it is, whatever your besetting sin is, that um, robs me of complete joy in Christ. So it's, it's something that we want to be free from. It may be very difficult to admit it, but it is, whatever it is, we do want to be free from it. We, there is great joy on the other side of it. There is great peace of mind uh, knowing that you are walking in unconditional devotion to Christ. Um, that doesn't mean that the issues of self-interest or um, temptation will not crop up. It just means that you have resolved to walk with Christ, to be obedient in spite of that coming up. Now, as I've already said, we have to guard against trying to spiritualize our self-interests. We have to guard against trying to couch it as being something that maybe is is God's 
will for us, or or that is okay, or we use uh, text from the scripture ripped out of context to try to justify our self-interest. That's that's a danger too. Uh, Christians have a, a real propensity to try to find ways to baptize or spiritualize sin and make it sound like it's something that's good, especially greed. And so we want to be very careful of that as well. It's not if we can get it into some kind of gray area in our mind, as opposed to black and white, then it's easier for us to continue to pursue that self-interest. In Philippians chapter, um, let me see, we'll have to look here. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Paul says this, this is a key verse, by the way, regarding this issue. For me to live, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, that is a very familiar verse for many of us. But it it, it addresses, it cuts to the core issue here. And that is, what is my life about? Is my life about my self-interests? Or is it about living for Christ? Sometimes if we are suffering from addiction, for example, whether it's love or romance addiction, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, some other form of relational addiction, it is possible that we can begin to to, um, uh, find ourselves in a position where we feel like we're going to die if we don't get that need met if we don't get that next hit of our drug of choice. But Paul says here, for me to live is Christ. And if I'm faced with death, if I'm faced with feeling like I'm going to die, then okay, because to die is gain. So this text, this one verse, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, really addresses the whole core issue. And Paul's very purposeful about this. Later in chapter 2, he says, um, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, fulfill my joy that you think the same way by maintaining same love, the same love, being united in spirit, thinking on one purpose, do nothing, doing nothing from selfish ambition or vain glory, but with humility of mind, regarding one another as more important than yourselves, not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, hold that thought. Because down in verse 21, actually from verse 19 through 21, we have another incident of self-interest showing up. He says in verse 19, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be in good spirits when I learn of your circumstances. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned about your circumstances. For they all seek after their own interests, not those 
of Christ Jesus. End quote. Let me read that last line again. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Paul is having to send Timothy to Philippi to learn of their welfare, to learn how they are doing. Because he has no one else in Philippi, among the leaders of the community in Philippi, that he can trust to be genuinely concerned for the welfare of the church. And so he has to send Timothy in from the outside to visit with them and report back to Paul as to their welfare, their general welfare. Already in the early church, there were men in position of authority, overseers, elders, who had given themselves over to interests other than Christ. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Now, what are the interests of Christ Jesus that Paul is speaking of here? Well, we're told in verse 20, For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned about your circumstances or your welfare or your state. So to be genuinely concerned about another person's welfare or interests above and beyond your own is to place the interests of Christ ahead of your own personal interests. This harkens back to the verse in verse 4 again, not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So what is the self-interest that I'm speaking of here today? What is the, the sinful self-interest that we want to have pruned from our mind and hearts and behavior? It is that self-interest that blocks out the interest of others. It's a selfish self-interest. It's a selfish ambition, if you will. It's a interest where your devotion to Christ is compromised and the benefit, welfare, and interests of others is disregarded. It's a self-interest in which selfish ambition and vain glory become the central focus of your life, even though you continue to make appearances that you are very devoted to Christ. And so it's a self-interest that you might be able to spiritualize or uh, baptize into looking like it's very Christian. But it's a very self-centered interest. In other words, when I put my felt needs and my even if those even legitimate needs, we all have legitimate human needs, but when those felt needs become the central focus of our life, then we've crossed a line. Then we're out of the will of God. Now who is our model for this better than Jesus himself? 
What is the prescription that we can begin to apply in this moment to overcome this conditional devotion and learn to walk in unconditional devotion to Christ, even when it conflicts with our personal interests? Well, that's what Paul is saying here again in chapter 2, beginning with verse 5. He says this, Have this way of thinking, this mindset, in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, that is to say, to be exploited, to be used, to be manipulated, to be uh, a, a way of using self-interest to exalt himself and over others for their detriment and his benefit. Okay, verse 6. Who, although existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself of those privileges, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is our model out of the forest of conditional devotion and into the wide open spaces in the sunlight of unconditional devotion. That's what Jesus modeled for us. He did not insist on his personal interests. Rather, he emptied himself in favor of the will of God and for the benefit of others. There are three characteristics of Jesus here I want to point out and then we'll be done. That is his anonymity. He didn't push himself forward. He didn't form a 501c3 or a, a PAC or a um, brain trust. He didn't develop a marketing program for his ministry. He didn't promote himself in that way. He sought to do the will of God. He only did as he saw the Father doing, he says in John chapter 5. Jesus lived to do the will of the Father. And in his humanity, he put aside any um, appearances even of self-promotion for his own sake. So he assumed a position of anonymity on a human level in order to do and magnify the will of God completely. And also, so anonymity, and second, he walked in humility. He humbled himself. He recognized that the appropriate response to being human is to humble oneself, not exalt oneself, not reach for some kind of personal fulfillment or self-realization or some kind of self-promotion over others. 
but to humble himself. And what did that humility look like? It looked like obedience, even to death, death on a cross. In other words, beloved, it was unconditional obedience. Jesus modeled for us how to live as a human being, a functional, whole, healthy human being, before God and before man. So let me close by asking you this question again. Are you devoted to Christ only to a point? Is there a limit to your devotion to Christ? And if so, what is that point? What is that limit? Where have you set the fences that say, you know, I love you, Jesus. I'm following you. I'm devoted to you until I reach this point of personal interest or desire for other things, people, places, and things. And then I'm going to pursue that. And I would really like it, Lord, if you would go with me on that, that you would bless me in that pursuit of self-interest. And I will work to maintain the image that you have, even. I will, I will not denounce you. I will not renounce you openly. But I will pursue my self-interest. And I hope that you will bless me. See, that's a level of spiritual immaturity that is deadly. I personally am praying with a broken heart that I will be free of that. And I want, invite, want to invite you to join me in that prayer. In fact, let's just pray, even now. Gracious Father, you have sent your Son into the world so that we might be saved from the fallenness of this world, from the power and control of Satan, from the death sentence of sin and the self-interest, the selfish ambition, the selfishness that would cause us to place conditions and limits on our devotion to your Son. And we ask you now for mercy. We ask you for the grace to free us from this sinful, personal interests that would place us in conditional obedience to you and to your Son. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would root out these things in our hearts and minds, give us great conviction, open our eyes and ears to these things through, your, through the Word so that we can see it more clearly and be done with it. Be decisive with it to put it to death, to mortify any form of self-interest that would effectively make our devotion to you conditional and limited. May our hearts be consecrated fully to your Son. And Father, we pray these things in his name. Amen.